Go ahead and get into your cars. Not literally, but figuratively, okay? Get into your cars. Go out to, uh, go out to Wellesley and hang a right. Okay, go to Division, take a left, and go north. Okay, you get to the Y, you're going to angle to the right, and keep going. Eventually, you'll find yourselves on Highway 2, right? Okay, good. Just checking. Go through the town of Elk, I think. You, you go up through Priest River, and you just keep going. There's some beautiful country up there. You're going to hit this uh, nice little resort town called Sandpoint. Keep going. Okay, keep going, because 10 miles past Sandpoint, 10 miles past, there's a little gas station on the left, and there's a road called Upper Pack River Road. If you haven't seen it, bear with me. You hang a left on that, okay? And you start going west. And you go 20 miles, 20.4 to be exact. There's some places where you need four-wheel drive. There's other places where you're fine. Eventually, you get to the trailhead sign, number 217. Get out of your car and start walking up. There's no switchbacks, so it's doable. Nice trail for most of it. Yeah, you, get, you get towards the top, and there's some places where you lose the trail, but there's rock cairns that, that'll guide you as to where you're going. And then once you're past those, you, you hang another right, and all of a sudden the trees open up, and, and you're there. You're at Harrison Lake. An actual picture of it. It is one of, in my opinion, one of the best places in all the world. I haven't been too many places in the world, so take it for what it's worth. But in my opinion, it's one of the best places you could possibly go in the entire world. And it's, for me, the home of one of my favorite memories. In fact, oftentimes I return to this memory in my mind's eye, and I can remember it very vividly. The, the sun is setting. I'm sitting there on a rock with my oldest son at the time, who was four or five years old. We're, we're kind of sitting there, snuggling. Every once in a while, you can feel a bat whir by your head. It's a good memory. Okay, and you, and you watch them flying around. There's two or three of them chasing each other, and you, you can hear the mosquitoes. They're not stinging you, which is great. But you, you, you can hear them, and then you, you see them on, on the water. They land, and then not too much longer, it's like, bloop, you see the fish. No more mosquito. Yeah, but the sun's setting. It's amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm there. Okay, I'm holding my son. There, there's a security in that. There's a comfort. And I remember vividly that first trip up there with him, making a commitment to myself that I would do this individual trip with both of my boys every single year because it was so deeply meaningful to me. And in the weeks and in the years that followed, I would return. Again, in my mind, I would remember the details of what took place, and I would remember that commitment that I made, and I would respond to that commitment. And I think just about every year except one, my sons and I have gone on a man venture together. Wouldn't it be great if we could do the same thing in our relationship with Jesus? Wouldn't it be great if we could return to the times we felt closest to him. Maybe the times we felt farthest away from him. And we could remember what that felt like. We could remember what he said, what he did, the outcome of whatever situation we were remembering. And wouldn't it be great if we could respond again to what took place? I think we can do this. 
And I think it's actually necessary to do this. And I think that this order, this return, remember, and respond actually began on the very first Easter. We're going to look at that story in just a second. Let's pray again. God, this is your word to us. This is your story to us. This is your letter of love to us. It's a a revelation of who you are, of your pursuit of us. And it's a story that not only was written in the past, but continues to be written today. Father, help us fully engage this story this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Return, remember, respond. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read all of it, so if you want to flip there. And if you want to stick your other finger in John chapter 20. Starting in Matthew 28. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened but also filled with great joy and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Now John chapter 20, same story, different author. Early on a Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple to whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She returned, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. 
Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I have yet to ascend to the Father. But go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That story never gets old, does it? I mean, we see this story on Easter, but the story itself never gets old. It's it's actually a part of a much bigger story, which most of us know the story begins with God creating humanity, wanting to be in relationship with humanity, and yet sin happening initially and then repeatedly over and over again, and the relationship that should have been was broken. But God wasn't satisfied with a broken relationship, so he did whatever he needed to do to restore that relationship. And he became God incarnate, which is a big, fancy, churchy way of saying he moved into the neighborhood and became one of us. It's the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus' life is told by four different guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels, and Gospel means good news. So what is the good news? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's his life lived in such a way that humanity was supposed to have lived to where he could be in relationship with God. It's a story of his death, a death uh, uh, done so so that we wouldn't have to die. You know, the discipline that we deserved, he took. That's the story we remembered two days ago. It's the story we're celebrating today. That's the Easter story. The tomb is empty. It's the two stories you just heard read. It's about life again, new life, life forever. If you grew up in the church, this is the story you've heard countless times. If you come to church on Easter or Christmas, this is the story you've heard countless times. If this is your first time hearing the story, welcome to the narrative. What a story it is. Women returning to the tomb, an earthquake, a stone rolled away, angels giving a message, joy, excitement, fear, confusion, an encounter with a man who three days earlier had hung to death on a cross, but now was alive, was alive, is alive, continues to be alive. What a story. This is the hinge of our Christian faith. This is the linchpin. This is the climax of the story. This is the crux. It's the event that we base our faith on. So what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Do we come just on Easter Sunday, put on our tie? I didn't wear my tie today. I wore it two Sundays ago. Do we put on our Sunday best, our Easter best? Do we get all excited because we sing songs that we know and then we go eat lunch with our family and then... What do we do with this? For the rest of this morning, I'm going super practical. And I'm going to push us beyond today. I'm going to push us to tomorrow and the day after and the day after. I think we do with this story what I told you I'd do with my son and the Harrison Lake story. We return to the story. We remember what Jesus said and did. And then we respond. Now, why do I think we do that? Because that's what the characters in our story did. In both accounts, let's look at it. First, to return. Look at Mary Magdalene. She returned, both in Matthew's account and John's account. She returned to where the story she had thought had finished. 
You can read it up on the screen. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Most of us skim by that verse. It's like, ah, no big deal. In reality, it was a big deal. For Mary to return was a big deal. See, before Jesus, there were other people who claimed to be the Messiah. Before Jesus, there were other men who said, I am the one sent from God to restore Israel to her former glory and to overthrow the oppressors. There were other men who claimed what Jesus was claiming. Same thing happened to them. They were killed. And what happened to their followers? They scattered. They didn't come back. You can read about that in Acts chapter 5, verse 36 and 37. So in those cases, no one returned. But in our case, Mary returned. We see it again, John chapter 20, verse 1. Not up on the screen. It's in here. Early on Sunday morning, while it was dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. You know, there are people who say Mary didn't know where she was going. She went to the wrong tomb. Luke chapter 23, verse 55. As Jesus' body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the, saw the tomb where his body was placed. Matthew chapter 27, verse 61. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. Mark chapter 15, verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus' body was laid. I don't think they would have forgot in three days' time where they put him. So I think she went back because she had witnessed what took place on the cross. She had watched as Jesus' body was taken down, as his body, dead and lifeless, was placed in this tomb. For Mary, she may have thought the story was done. She may have thought that she had heard Jesus teach for the last time that she had seen Jesus' miracles for the last time. She may have thought she would never again experience his healing. She was healed by Jesus. She may have thought that there was no more that Jesus could do for her, and yet she still returned. I got a pointed question for you. You ever wonder if Jesus has done all he can for you? You ever wonder if there's anything else he could possibly do? I mean, he, he, he died on the cross. He saved me from my sins. He gave me eternity. There's not much else, right? Nothing more he can do. Nothing more he can teach you. Nothing more you can learn from him, by him, through him. I dare you, return to the story and find out if that's the case. Mary wasn't the only person who returned. Peter and the other disciple, who we believe is John, also returned. We see this in John chapter 20, verse 3 and 4. It says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So they went back to where they too had thought the story was over. They went back because Mary came and said, hey, something's not right. He's not there. And of course, they're going back wondering what in the world's going on. And do you sense the urgency that they went back with? Notice that they didn't stop by Starbucks on the way and get their morning latte. They didn't get their hose out and water their lawn before coming. They didn't go into the kitchen and pack an extra lunch just in case, you know, they were gone long. No, they hiked up their manskirts and ran. And they ran. 
There was a sense of urgency in what they were doing. And on a side note, you got to love it because you can't put two guys together and not have a competition. They raced. Last night we were at some friends' houses and they've got a young son and, and he had begged to have my youngest son bring some, bring some cars over. Well, I thought it was so that they could play cars together. No, the young one wanted to see if he could beat my son's cars. It was a race, always a race. And I love that that got put in here. That's just a rabbit trail, okay? The men ran, they hurried. There was a sense of urgency in what they were doing. Pointed question. What happens if we actually take that same sense of urgency when we return to the story? What if it's no longer, oh, I don't want to get up and read the Bible. I'm going to check Facebook first. I'm going to to look at SportsCenter first. I'm going to, yeah, I'm I'm going to read the newspaper first. What if there is a sense of urgency returning to the story to see what Jesus is going to do and say and teach us? Wouldn't that change how we approach the story? I think it would. The characters in the story returned. But they weren't satisfied with returning, with looking around and saying, yeah, he's, he's no longer here. They took that next step. They returned and then they remembered What did they remember? What Jesus had said. They remembered what Jesus had said. Matthew 28, verse 5 and 6. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Wait, wait. Jesus said it would happen? Well, if you're familiar with the story of the Gospels, you know he said it. Several times, actually, Mark chapter 8, 27 to 31, Matthew chapter 16. Listen to it. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. The text says he, he pulled his disciples aside and told them that. I think so often we think that when, when we see a phrase like that, Jesus, like, it just means the 12. Hey, fellas, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12. Come here, I got some, I got some secret I want to tell you. I don't think that's the case. I, I think that there was the 12 and then there was the traveling squad that went with Jesus. We actually see that in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And listen at the end as to who's there. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. So you return to our story, and there's an angel telling Mary, remember what Jesus told you. And I love it because in Luke, in Luke's account of the same story, it says she remembered. Luke 24, 5, 6, 7, 8. The women were terrified. They bowed with their faces to the ground. The men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Remember, they said, what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. And verse 8, it says, then... They remembered that he had said this. They returned and they remembered. 
Now, John and Peter also experienced something similar. John chapter 20, verse 8 and 9. says, Then the disciple whom, who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. I actually love that part because it tells me two things. It tells me that they thought back to what Jesus had said, but they also thought back to what they had been taught growing up. You know, in the midst of the pain and the confusion and the loss and the questions of where is Jesus and where is not, the text says they remembered the scriptures that said Jesus must be raised from the dead. As I thought about this this past week, I, I thought, huh, I wonder what Sunday school lesson he remembered. I wonder what conversations he was thinking of when, uh, when he remembered the scriptures. Was it times in Psalms or Isaiah or Hosea or, or Zechariah? We don't know. But I love the fact that it wasn't just Jesus had said this was going to happen. It was tied to that and what he had grown up being taught. Now, for those who have not grown up in the church, your remembering starts today. We must learn to remember as well what Jesus has done, what he has said, what he has told us to do. Now, I started, I started this morning talking about the trip to Harrison Peak with my son, and I told you that in my mind's eye, I would return there. I would remember what the details were of the story, and I would respond to the commitment I made. I think that as Christians, we do an okay job with the first two of returning and remembering. But I think especially around this time of year, we might lack a little bit when it comes to the response. You know, we're, we're good with the action part on Ash Wednesday. We give up coffee. We give up Facebook. We, we give up sweets. And we, we spend a little extra time reading. You know, we're remembering we spend a little extra time praying. We're returning. And then we get to Easter Sunday. We have our coffee in the morning. We've reactivated our Facebook account. And we're good to go. But do we respond? Our characters in the story did. And they responded in two different unique ways. This is actually kind of cool. You look at the guy's response and the girl's response. The men first. John 20, verse 8 and 9. It says the other disciple who got their second, because they had raced, walked in, saw, and believed. For until then, he hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said he must rise from the dead. So they've returned, they've remembered, and now their response. Four words. Then they went home. Let it sink in. Then they went home. Hey, let's not knock it, okay? We don't know what they did when they got home. They might have grabbed their little post-it notes and, write, and wrote, He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen. And, th and then taped it to the bottom of their carrier pigeon and set them all loose. They could have done that. Right? They could have gathered their friends and, and their neighbors and they could have said, Guess what? We just saw it's an empty tomb. And yeah, they could have just gone home, closed the blinds, shut the door, locked it, and gone back to bed. The text tells us it was early in the morning. We don't know what they did, but the, the response in John's gospel was that they went home. Now, we know from the rest of the story that, that other things happened. 
But their immediate response was just that. Now, Mary's response, the women's response was completely different. I love it. 28 verse 5 and 7, Matthew's gospel. The angel says, don't be afraid. I know you're looking for the one who was crucified. He's not here. Go and tell, they said. Go quickly and tell the disciples. Now, Jesus told Mary the same thing in verse 10. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Same thing in, verse, in John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said, don't cling to me. I've yet to ascend to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them. Now, at that point, Mary has to make a decision. She's been told by the angels. She's been told by Jesus. She could, like the guys, go home. Or she can go and tell. Well, our text tells us that she went and told. Matthew 28, verse 8. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. John chapter 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. She gave them his message. So how did she respond? She went and told. And notice, she went with the same urgency that Peter and John came. Isn't that great? For those who can't read that far, it says, Mary Magdalene be like, yo, he's gone. She went with a sense of urgency. I think we need to note this. Because so many of us have grown up in the church, and here's the hard truth of it. Once we've been a Christian for a few months, a few years, a few decades, we don't have that same sense of urgency. We lose that. In fact, so often, here's hard truth. We come to church, we hear about Jesus, and we go home. Just like the guys in our story. We lose that sense of urgency. Do we need a white robe glowing angel to come and say, go and tell? Do we need to see the resurrected Jesus to say, hey, I'm alive. You've got to make some sort of response. You've got to choose to do something about it. What if that's this morning? What if through our text or our story, he's saying, your move. You've returned to the story. You've remembered what I said I would do and that I did. And now I'm telling you, respond. So let's ask a couple of questions. Why would we want to do that? Why in the world would we go back and look at the story again? I mean, if we've been following Jesus for decades upon decades, we, we can't really learn anything else, can we? We could look at the scriptures. We could remember what we were taught, but is it going to make a difference? I raised my hand and prayed the prayer at camp 37 years ago. Does Jesus really want me to respond again? Jesus is calling us to respond, and here's why. Because at some point in your life, you're going to be talking faith to somebody, and they're going to laugh. Maybe not maliciously, but they're going to laugh. What will you do? How will you respond? There's going to come a point in your life, many points, where you have to make some hard choices. They might seem like small choices at the time. I'm going to fudge a little bit on these numbers at work. I'm going to take that second glance at the computer screen. I'm 
to give that other person an extra long hug, even though it's not my spouse. It may sound like little decisions right now, but they could end up wrecking your job, your kids, your marriage. Are you going to remember what Jesus taught about these things because you have returned to the story and remembered? There's going to come a time, parents and grandkids, where your kids or grandkid, parents and grandparents, where your kids or grandkids will come to you. They'll sit you down and say, Dad, you say you're a Christian. Why? How are you going to respond? Are you going to tell them the answer that they know because they've come to church on Easter? Well, because Jesus died for my sins and I want to spend forever with him in heaven. That's correct. I'm not knocking that. But will you know enough of the story of Jesus? Will it make enough difference in your life that they will actually say, I want what you've got? Or will you be the reason the family lineage of following Jesus ends? Return, respond, remember, there is going to come a time when somebody who is genuinely searching, somebody who has read the Quran, who has read the Book of Mormon, who has read the Bible and knows that the Bible says that Christians are supposed to act like Jesus acted, and that person's not even going to come and talk to you. They're just going to look at your life. Will your life say, I am a follower of Christ because I have returned, remembered, and responded, or will you be the reason generations of their family doesn't follow Christ? Why return? Why remember? Why respond? Because this matters. It matters. So what do we do with it? I suppose I could tell you, this is how I want you to respond, okay? And I will, okay? I'm, uh, personally, I'm going re- to return to the story. Not just, not just the last chapter in the gospel stories. I'm going to return to the entire story of the gospels. Over these last seven weeks from Ash Wednesday to today, where we have purposely read more, where we spent more time praying, where we've, you know, readied our heart for this celebration this morning. We've given you some texts to read, and they've been challenging and hard, and they they didn't make sense together, right, Susie? I agree. So over the next seven weeks, I want to push us to respond by reading together all four Gospels. Now, you may be thinking, that's a lot of reading. No, it's not. It's two chapters a day. That's it. There are a couple of days where there's three chapters. So return to the story with me. Remember what Jesus did and said and taught. And then every day when you read, say, Jesus, how do you want me to respond to this today? Not just Easter Sunday. How do you want me to respond to this on May 13th or June 2nd? I'm rereading your story. How do you want me to respond? There's a few ways that uh, you can figure out what texts we're reading. In your bulletin, they'll be listed. On our website, they'll be listed. If you are one who likes technology, um, Nathan, I want to skip a couple slides. Jump over to that technology slide. There it is. Get your phone out right now. Yeah. And text 40404 to follow. There's got to be a space at First Church Spo. Just go ahead and leave that up there. And you should get a daily text with a link to the text. So you won't even forget I say should because in the last seven weeks we've been trying to get that. I've gotten the text every day, but Heather, who set it up, hasn't. So, honestly, try it if it works great. If it doesn't, that's life. Return, 
Remember, respond. Now, I don't claim to have the answer of, if you read the four Gospels, that that will be the end-all, be-all. I think that the Spirit of God can tell you a way that he wants you to respond as well. So on the back of your, your bulletin, on the outline, you see three questions on the bottom of it. With the, the heading, it's your move. We're going to have someone come up. We're going to have a couple of people come up, and they're going to sing a song that actually, the, the song, listen to the lyrics. It's beautiful lyrics. talks about a person's response to Jesus. And while you are listening to the, to the lyrics, while, you are, while you're doing that, ask yourself, should I commit to this gospel reading challenge? Or, Jesus, is there another way you want me to respond? And then write it down and take it home. I trust the Spirit of God will give you what you need to do in that. Now, after the, the, the music, we're going to have two people who are choosing to live this message out in a very practical way. And it'll be a, the best way we could possibly end an Easter Sunday service. So I want to pray. I want to invite those who are, who are going to be singing to come up. And again, it's Jesus saying, what's your next move? Lord Jesus, you have called us this morning to return to the story. We have done that. Or we've at least returned to a couple chapters towards the end. And it's not the end of the story, but the crux, the, the middle of the part where the, the climax of the story, and we know the story continues. But we've returned. Lord, now we ask that you would help us remember. If we take this gospel challenge, if we read through all four gospels in the next seven weeks, Lord, may there be things every single day that, that are fresh and new to us. And as we ask you, Jesus, how should we, you, should we respond? Would you tell us? Would you nudge us? Would you help us actually live this out in a way that means something? Not just for us, but for the people who are watching and for the generations after. Jesus, you are risen. You are risen indeed. We believe that with all our hearts. And we want to have a sense of urgency as we move forward with this story. Help us do that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, I give you all I can today. These scattered ashes that I hid away, I lay it all at your feet. From the corners of my deepest shame, empty places where I've worn your name. Show me the love. I say I believe. Oh, help me to lay it down. Oh, Lord, I lay it down. Oh, let this 
Remember and respond. How will you do that? I want to introduce you to my friend Debbie Young. Debbie, you want to come on up here? 